So if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Revelation. The book of the Revelation, it's in the back of your Bible. We'll find our text there in Revelation chapter number 3 and try to get going and get moving. Revelation chapter number 3 is where we'll find our text tonight. We're back in our series. I don't know how many weeks it's been since we have been in it. It's been quite, it's been a few um, weeks since we've been there. And uh, I'm happy to get back into the book of Revelation. Um, It's been a pleasant study thus far. And uh, I believe out of all of them, this one's probably been the best. Um, Study-wise, I'm just thankful to be able to study through this book. Blessed is the man that readeth this book. So I'm thankful to be able to study through Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. The Bible says, And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and not, no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I've set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I'll make thee uh, them of the synagogue of Satan, which, which, they, which say they are Jews and are not. But do lie, behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Behold, thou, because, excuse me, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. I'll write, I'll write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the time to be able to open the Word of God again. Help us, God, tonight. Lord, please help me preach the Word of God. Lord, straight and true. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Excuse me. And so I'm thankful to be able to open up the Word of God again. And um, undoubtedly, this is probably one of my favorite studying so far through the book of Revelation. We've covered five churches thus far, out of seven. In those five churches, there has been obviously the church of Ephesus, and there has been um, the church of Smyrna, and there has been the church of um, Sardis. That was the last one. I cannot remember them all in order. That's a, that's a mess, and I shouldn't be that way. But Ephesus, there is the church of Pergamos and Smyrna, and there is the church of Thyatira, the church of Sardis. We're in the sixth church meaning the sixth dispensation, as a lot of people would put it. Sixth way of looking at things, sixth church age, however you want to look at it. Well, however you want to look at it, but this church would have been, this church, uh, Lord willing, we'll finish this series up, by the way, this week. Lord willing, we'll finish it up Wednesday. This is not the series, but rather the series on the churches here. And we'll get more into the depth and the midst of the book of Revelation and so remember, there's three ways to look at it. There's the practical side, and there's the, profit, there's the prophetic side. And then there's the side that we can apply to ourselves. And so the practical side, remember, these are 
seven real churches. They are. There were seven real churches at some point in time. Seven churches entitled these names. And here they are in the book of Revelation. And then prophetically, we must look at it on that stance too. Each church, and I wish I would have went a little bit more in depth into the prophetic look of things because I've studied some of it now. But, I mean, I studied some of it before, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, it's very interesting to see the time frames of, of these churches and to see what actually took place in those time frames. And so more history kind, kind of thing, and we're not a history class. So. But each church, prophetically, church stands as a representation of a time in church history, a time in the church age when something took place drastically good, bad, and ugly, so on. Interestingly, I believe this church right here is a tremendous church. And um, this is the church of the revival age. This is the church of the great awakenings. This is a church of that time. I believe this church uh, is anywhere between the 18th and the 19th century church. And so the 18th century we understood ended at um, 1901. And we understand the 19th, um, cent- I mean, excuse me, we understand the 18th century ended uh, 1801, then the 19th century would have began, the 19th century would end ended in 1901, and there we have what we have. And so we're here now, and we're looking at this, and so this church was a church age that was around that time. This is what Christ is describing here. And so it started. it's the start of the modern missions movement, and all of that time, this is the start of that. M.R.D. Hand said in his book, and I got it written down, uh, stated in his book on the book of Revelation, he stated this is the missionary church of the revival of the 19th century. The word Philadelphia means brotherly love. It is a revival church. With the 19th century came a change. Until the 19th century, the blessed hope of the premillennial reign, of a return, excuse me, of the Lord Jesus was seldom stressed. The truth was believed that many of God's faithful remnant by what but it it was the truth was believed by many of God's faithful remnant, but it was seldom preached and was utterly unknown to the masses of church members. A hundred and fifty years ago the truth of the imminent return of the Lord was revived, and as a result the true Christians were inspired and fired with their responsibility, and God raised up men full of power and and zeal and fire and passion for souls to awaken the dead church of Sardis to its responsibility. And so the church of Sardis, we know they were socially active but spiritually dead. They were socially driven, but they were spiritually dead, right? Everybody remembers that, right? And so we're getting to the church here of Philadelphia, and he goes on to say, he said, um, so this is an awakening of the dead church of Sardis in those times, uh, and the names Whitfield and Wesley and Edwards and later Moody and Darby and Spurgeon, people like that were in this church age of Philadelphia church age. And so people like that were in the Great Awakenings as they were mass revivals that flooded the earth as many people. And through that, many missionaries came about. Uh, such missionaries as a Taylor, Hudson Taylor and David Livingston and, and missionaries of those sorts that flooded the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and he went on to write, uh, he said, revival swept the continent and spread virtually throughout the world. And as a result, it was during this century that the great missionary movements were born and the powerful missionaries 
uh, missionary societies were formed. Although missionary work was conducted by the faithful remnant in the church before the revival of the 19th century, it was circumscribed uh, and limited. It was done chiefly by the Moravians uh, with the coming of the Church of Philadelphia as a protest against the deadness of the denominations of the Church of Sardis. The missionary fire broke and the the names of those which I named uh, Livingston and Taylor and people along those sorts that had went and had preached the gospel and had really reached people, the unreachable people. And some, you know, Taylor went to cannibals. And that there was different things that took place. And testimony, testimony to the zeal. It shows the testimony to the zeal and the love of the revived church of Philadelphia. That is the church of Philadelphia. That is the church that God was pleased with, by the way. God did not come to this church in any way, shape, or form in in condemnation, but He came to them to commendation. He did not uh, condemn them for anything that they did, but He commended them for everything that they did. Uh, And so this church was the church age we read about and we hear about oftentimes. When we hear of the Great Awakenings, um, the, the the great meetings of Jonathan Edwards as he stood there and he fired um, the message across the old auditorium as he preached those messages that he preached time and time again and God moved and moved and moved and, and I've read the life of D.L. Moody and the life of all of those people as D.L. Moody would come together with his singer, with his lead singer, I can't remember his name to save my life, I got a book on him, um, I'm trying to remember it, but um, he, w- he would get those, our saying he would get Iris Sankey and Iris Sankey would um, sing out there on the midst of the streets and people would flood the streets to hear exactly what they were singing about and then he would say well let, there's too many people in the street let's move down to the auditorium down the road and he would get them in the auditorium and he would preach to them and multitudes would get saved and that's how he would get them in. It's a multitude. It's amazing things. And, and Charles Spurgeon would, uh, would preach at the, the, the tabernacle there and he would preach amongst fives and six and tens of thousands of people over the auditorium as tens of thousands of people. And his, I could only imagine as his voice rang as there was tens of thousands of people but no mics and he had to get the voice out there. I can only imagine the, the real realness of their voices and the realness and the zeal of their preaching and God moved in those days. God moved in those days. In Philadelphia, if you look at that, I'm going to preach on this thought. Philadelphia, the church with little strength, but a big Savior. With little strength, but a big Savior. Here's a few facts surrounding the literal church of Philadelphia. Philadelphia was the smallest of all of the cities out of the seven. It was the smallest of all the cities and. People say it stood between two mountains and it was a literal door between Asia Minor and Asia. It was a literal door to get to those places. And it was a military buffet city. And uh, this was known as a city of uh, brotherly love from King Atticus, who, or King Atticus II, because he loved his brother and he stated providentially that he loved his brother on a consistent basis. And, and this city was reeked with earthquakes and, and many diverse situations that took place in, in this city because it was in a mount, it was under, it was in a valley, and everything that got in there couldn't get out of there and they were consistently uh, having to evacuate the area and evacuate the city Uh, um, but this city was full of pagan temples of Greece and it was full of pagans 
And writers say out of the seven cities Christ wrote a letter to, this one was the last to lose their testimony for Christ. It's said that eventually, however, it did lose its testimony when the Muslims invaded it and they come in and stole everything they had. And, um, but if we were to look at any of these churches as a model, I believe this one would be it. He doesn't condemn, but rather commends. He has no complaints. He has compliments. It's very important. My, I pray this is how the Lord looks at us tonight. Amen. I pray that he is. I'll preach on that thought. Philadelphia, the church with little strength, but a big Savior. I'll try to be quick, okay? Number one, I want you to notice Philadelphia's big master. Philadelphia's big master. It says in verse number seven, in verse number eight, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy and that is true. He that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, shutteth and no man open. I know thy works. He says, I know thy works. That's the only thing he said to everybody else. The Lord comes to the church of Philadelphia and he displays himself different from the prior occasions that he did to all of the five churches. He comes to them in a different way. And so I want you to notice a few things of how he comes to them. And, and um, their master displays his, his, his personality to them. His personality to them. Jesus comes to this church and he shows up in two different ways. He shows up and he appears as the perfect one. He says there very clearly to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write these things, saith he that is holy. He comes as the perfect one, the whole, the, the pure one, the, the one that is pure. And, and it tells us that and Jesus is sinless, friend. He's, he's pure. He's always been pure. If he wouldn't have been, he couldn't have died for your sins. He wouldn't have took them away. That's just who he is. He's perfect. He's absolutely perfect. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 22, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin? Amen. We might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus is speaking to a church that is striving to be holy in the midst of an unholy world. And he's speaking to them personally. And I believe he comes to them being holy, stating, hey, I am holy. And you can be too. I am holy and with my help you can be too. And that is a word of encouragement to this church. Uh, and we all need this encouragement from time to time. Uh, this world is against us. Sin is against us. Satan is against us. Uh, they're pressing on every side. And Jesus uh, has the power uh, to help us live the holy lives He desires for us to live. He has the ability. He comes and appears to them as the perfect one. He appears a little farther and we see it says He that hath the... He that is true. He that is true. He appears to them as the precious one. Now, this word true here means sincere. It means truthful. And we can look at it on different aspects. But I tell you, he's precious to me. He's precious to me because he is true. 
He's, he's altogether true. Remember, remember pagan false gods. Um, pagan temples were engulfed inside of this city and they needed something that was true. Uh, they needed something that was real. Uh, and the, the people worshiping those other gods were just wasting their time. Uh, but Jesus, with Jesus, you could depend on Him. Uh, he's true. Uh, he's altogether true. And that makes Him precious to me. Uh, the Bible says, uh, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, and He tells us that exactly what He is. Uh, and in the world we live in today, friend, uh, um, we need something that's real. Uh, this world is full of fakes. Uh, it's full of phonies. Uh, it's full of all that. But we need somebody who is real. Uh, somebody who is, we can lean on. And I have good news tonight. Uh, Jesus is still true today. Uh, he's still truthful. He's still real. Uh, he's still sincere. Uh, and His words, His ways, His salvation, uh, His heaven, His spirit is true. Uh, and it is real. Uh, and I can feel it. Hallelujah. Amen. I don't like Sierra Mist. I like Sprite. I like the real stuff. Amen. I like the real stuff. Amen. The master displays uh, his personality. He goes on and he displays his power. He says, uh, he that hath the key of David. Um, Jesus identifies himself as one who has the keys. One who has the keys. He has the keys and he opens and closes the doors. And Jesus says that he has the key of David here. Now look with me back at the book of uh, Isaiah, if you would. Back at the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number 22. Isaiah chapter number 22, Isaiah is full of prophecy. In Isaiah chapter number 22, the Bible says in verse 20, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son. By the way, Eliakim is actually a word for, is a name for God. Eloakim is a name for God, so we must not get it mixed up. But Eliakim is a really real person here. The son of Helkiah. And I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle. And I will commit thy government unto his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder so that he shall open and none shall shut. And shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. And he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house. The offspring and the issue all vessels of small quantity. From the vessels of cups even to all the vessels of flagons. You see where this is going here. It sounds a whole lot like Jesus. Look in the next verse. In that day saith the Lord of hosts shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed, be cut down, and fall, and the burden that was upon it shall be cut off, for the Lord has spoken it. And so we think about this, and there's a man, this passage tells us, he speaks of a man by the name of Eliakim. Uh, and this is an Old Testament prophecy that the glory of God, the power of God, the authority of God uh, will rest upon his shoulders. Uh, and then we are told that he will be set as a nail uh, in a sure place and that he will be cut off after a little while. Uh, he'll be cut off. Uh, and this this ancient prophecy, friend, is a picture uh, of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, God placed him, uh, his son, 
son in his kingdom and his government. And Isaiah chapter number 9 and verse number 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be wonderful. It shall be Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his his kingdom uh, to order it, to establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth ever, forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So the Lord set him as a nail in a sure place. He set him as a nail in a sure place. He said, He will. Rule in David's seat. He will do that. Uh, but after a time, he was cut off. And this is a clear picture of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're told that he will have the key of David. What does this mean? Well, what are keys for? Keys are access, availability, keys are authority. Right? Authority holds keys. You have access if you have the keys. And you have availability to what's inside if you have the keys. And Jesus comes to this ancient church and he says, Hey, I have the keys. Amen, friend. I have the keys. He's telling them and he's telling us today, he still has the keys. He still has the keys, and I'm glad that he does have the keys. Uh, Revelation 1 and verse 18, the Bible says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Have the keys of hell and death. Uh, He does. He has the keys. Uh, He's got the keys, and the Lord has the keys to the next door in your life, too. He also may have the, he might might have closed the last door in your life. Don't force it back open. Let let him be God. Amen. He comes to them, and he displays uh, his power. Their master displays a proclamation here. He says, I know thy works. It's the only thing he says to the other churches out of this. And Jesus reminds them that he knows everything about them. He sees their works. He sees their motives. He sees their drive, how they work, what they do. He sees it. And I always keep in mind, friend, he sees you too. Amen. Philadelphia's big master. Secondly, I want you to notice Philadelphia's burdensome mission. The Bible says, Behold, I have set before thee an open door. No man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Commentators tell us that Philadelphia was a small church with tremendous potential for the glory of God. Notice in these verses his mission, his ministry of this church, okay? I'm trying to hurry, okay? The ministry, the mission of this church. Number one, I want you to notice they were experiencing many openings. They were experiencing many openings. The Bible says in verse number 8, I have set before thee an open door. Simple. Just breaking it down. The Lord gave a big open door to this small church. Jesus says, thou hast little strength. Yeah, yeah. Now this may mean that they were small in number. It, mean, it might mean they were lacking the politics side. It might mean that they were lacking in finances. I don't know, but I, however they were weak. But they, the Lord was using them to be mighty. And I believe it could also mean they were weak enough to be strong in the Lord. That's a good way to be. Amen. They knew their needs. They knew they needed the Lord. 
They knew they needed him, and they were weak, but they were making a tremendous asp, uh, a tremendous impact on uh, their city. Why? Why? Well, the text tells us, little strength and has kept my word. They kept his word. That's why, that's how. Um, this, this means that they, they, even though they were weak in many ways, they were pure and strong in doctrine. They had things right. They had not denied his name. As the rest of the verse said, has not denied my name. They had denied his name. They were not ashamed of the relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I think this means that they were not keeping the gospel all to themselves. There's a lot of churches out there keeping the gospel to themselves. Amen, friend. Amen. They were actively spreading the word of God to a lost and a dying world around them. And God had given them an open door of missionary work in that area. He'd given them an open door of ministry in that area, in the Philadelphia. And they had stepped through it and they were doing what they could. And because of their faithfulness, the Lord was blessing them. And I want to tell you tonight, I know we're in a minority. But we must keep His word. Amen. We must hear His word. We must heed His word. We must hold to His word. Home His word. We must hide His word in our heart. But we must herald His word. We must tell people about His word. We must do it now. We must do it now. Don't be ashamed. Uh, the Bible says, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, it is the power of God unto salvation unto the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of God unto salvation, friend. Uh, that's the only way a man can get saved unless they know the gospel. Amen. And God has and he'll bless you if you'll be faithful to him. Be faithful to him. I'm sure he'll be faithful to you. They... Uh, were experiencing many openings. Secondly, they were exposed to much opposition. Verse 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say, They're Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I'll make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. So it tells us the phrase synagogue of Satan. If you do any study on that, uh, most people believe this is referring to the Jewish people persecuting the people of God there. Clearly the rest of the verse tells us that. It tells us that it is the Jewish people, people who claim to be Jews, but are not Jews. Uh, People who claim to be Jews and are not Jews, God does not like and he calls them the synagogue of Satan. By the way, I know some of those. Amen. Uh, I believe according to the rest of this verse, they are absolutely, they claim wholeheartedly to be Jews, but they're not Jews. Uh, These people claim to love God, but they do not love God. Uh, That's just simply what it is. They have rejected their Messiah. They've rejected their Savior. They are in need of a Savior. They're in need of a Savior. And Jesus tells the church of Philadelphia, He sees how they've been treated. What a blessing. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm glad He sees how we've been treated. Amen. Uh, he tells them that they're not, they may be booing you now, but one day they'll be bowing before you. Uh, amen, friend. They might be booing you on this side, but they won't be bowing. They won't be, they won't be booing you on that side. Uh, uh, the judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne of judgment, rather, they won't be, bo- they won't be booing you, but they'll be bowing. Amen. Everything will, every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Uh, and the Bible says that for things that are upon the earth, things that are within the earth, uh, what is it, Philipp, Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, 11. I, I believe that's what it is, but I, they'll be bowing. They'll be bowing. And the fact is, we aren't popular today. That's okay. We're unpopular. There was a day when people respected and reverenced God and His people. Now people could care less. But I tell you, just press on. Just press on. It's hard to preach. It's hard to preach in and, and preach out when things get smaller. But it's good. If you can preach in that, you can preach in anything. Amen, friend. Victory's on its way. 
It's only going to get better someday. I mean, that's all it is. And though they ridicule, and though they their, their day is coming, and though they persecute, their day is coming. I just keep on. Nowadays, I believe the church that that ever that, that everyone scoffs at would be the church that I'd want to attend. Amen. Amen. He said the world would hate it. Hated him first. They were exposed to much opposition. They were embraced by the marvelous one. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try to try them that dwell upon the earth. It's a wonderful promise to suffering people. Yeah. Amen. They have endured much, but they will be spared the horrors that will come upon the entire world and those who dwell up in it. They'll be spared from those days. And Jesus promises them that their faithfulness to Him guarantees them their deliverance from the terrible time of tribulation. When everything else has come, everything else is coming upon the earth. And the phrase, them that dwell upon earth, speaks of those who are lost. And if they are alive, tribulation will be their future. But for the child of God, we'll be gone. Amen. And as we learned this morning, Jesus is coming and He's going to remove His church before God pours out His wrath upon this world. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen, friend. Embraced by the marvelous one. It's a blessing, man. Fourthly, they were engaging in major obligations. Behold, I'll come quickly. Hold them. Hold that which is fat. Well, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Just walking down the verses. The believers in Philadelphia are told to be on the lookout for two things. It says at the beginning, Behold, I come quickly. I mean, first, they're to be watching for the Lord. Amen. They're to be watching for Him. Second, they were to be watching their walk. He says, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Fact is, Jesus is coming. And people need to be ready to meet Him. And that means we are, we are to live as if He come at any moment. At any minute, and we are to work like our life, our time is short. Amen. That's what we ought to do. But as we watch and as we work, we are to be careful of how we live our lives. Very important to how we live our lives. And we're, we must not allow ourselves to become more like the world around us. I mean, we must not do that. And I tell you, you'll never win them by being like them. That might be the modern translation of things. The modern way of looking at things, but you'll not win them. You'll have to keep them by that too. You'll have to keep them by that. But no matter what the modern world says, friend, you'll never win them that way. Amen. You know how you win them? You live like Jesus. You live for Jesus. You live like Jesus. You love Jesus. You love like Jesus. That's how you're going to win them. That's how you're going to win them. You look like Jesus. That's how you're going to win them. Things like that. That's how you are going to win them. Keep close to what he commanded. It's very, very important. Amen. Amen. We'll face the Lord someday at the judgment seat of Christ. And on that day, friend, uh, that day can be a day of full rewards or it can be a day of full loss. I mean, it's as simple as it is and it all depends on how we live on this exact moment. Amen, friend. You'll never know what impact you're making on the world around you. You never know what impact you're making. Keep doing it. Watch, wait, work. One day you will know, and that'll be a blessing on it. Amen. Philadelphia's big master 
Philadelphia's burdensome mission, lastly, Philadelphia's blessed motivation. He says in verse 12, Him that overcometh will I make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more, and I'll write upon him the name of my God. We'll read it on. The Lord closes his letter to the church of Philadelphia by giving them a message of hope for their future. Something ahead. He's given them a message of hope. He's given them something they can cling to. And this is a message to hold to for us today too. Amen. So there's a stable motivation that he gives them. In verse number 12 he says, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Now a pillar is a stability for the rest of the building. Is that not correct? So it's speaking of stableness. And so there's a stable motivation that he gives them. And the Lord tells the believers at Philadelphia that he'll make them a pillar in the God's temple and they will go out no more. They'll not have to worry about that. And I'm sure this was a message of hope uh, to the people out there. Remember what I told you earlier? (coughs) It was in the midst of a valley and much earthquakes and things were in there and they were consistently having to evacuate and things were having to come about. And so imagine being told by the Lord Jesus Christ that, hey, I'll make you stable. I'll make you something stable, something you won't have to worry about evacuating anymore. Uh, I'll make you a pillar somewhere you won't have to go out no more, uh, somewhere you won't have to leave no more. Uh, this is home, and that's what it's going to be. You see, it applies. It applies individually to these people. Uh, and he says, hey, I'll make you a pillar. I'll make you a pillar uh, in the house of God. I'll make you a pillar in the temple of God uh, and he shall go out no more. It matters. It matters to study your Bible and what it's talking about. Now Jesus promises them uh, that they'll enjoy all the stability they need in his kingdom. Uh, And it's amazing how the Lord addresses them individually. In the world you may feel as if you're in the midst of the ocean and the waves are tossing you to and fro. Seems like tomorrow's going to be harder than it was today, and today was harder than it might be tomorrow. Just things are different. We go back and forth, things move about, and, but I tell you, He is our solid foundation. And there will come a day when the saints of God will be firmly fixed in heaven above, and they'll never be threatened again by the hard waves of this world. And that's the case, friend. As the songwriter wrote, we'll soon be done with troubles and trials. Amen. We'll soon be done with them. There's a stable motivation. Lastly, there's a secure motivation. He tells them on a little farther, and I'll write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven for my God, and I'll write upon him my new name. God says that his people will be identified with the Creator, with the city, and with Christ. We'll be created, we'll be right there with the Creator, we'll be in the city, and we'll be with Christ, thank God. Uh, and if you're saved, God has put his stamp of ownership on you. I thought about as I was studying it, I thought about as I was studying, I thought about how, I know this might be carnal, and you can hate me, whatever you want to do, but thought about how you look on the bottom of Woody's boot, and it always had the name of his, what was it say? Andy. It always said Andy on there. And I believe on the bottom of my boot, I got Jesus' name on there. Amen. He's my owner, friend. He's the ownership of me. And friend, you are redeemed forever. And you are His forever. And But why do we need the name of His city on us? Well, it showed their intended, it showed their intended destination. Where they're headed to, where the home is. Uh, I mean, if you lose me, I'm here. Amen. Uh, I mean that that's where you that's where you need to send me back to. Uh, and, and, and I'm headed to glory. I'm headed to glory, and we will be identified with Christ as well, friend. His new name. I can't say I know all about that, but bless the Lord, He's got a new name. I got a new name. 
and I got his on me. Amen. The Bible tells us on a little bit farther back. It says, I'll write my new name. The Bible tells us in chapter 2, I think it is. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches to him that overcometh will I give to eat the head man and will give him a white stone and the stone a new name written which no man knoweth saving he that receiveth it. So there is a new name for him. I, don't, I can't tell you what it is. Okay? I can't tell you what it is there. But I know that there's going to be one. Amen? And so, so that's all I know. And the world, the world around Philadelphia didn't seem to see much in Philadelphia. They didn't seem to see much in the church. But when Jesus looked on them, he saw a lot. He saw a lot. He saw the, the creator is mine, the city is mine, Christ is mine, and we're all claimed as his own. It's the truth. It's the truth. And in first, first John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sins, sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth it not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. We are the sons of God. Out of all the churches, I can believe we say, I believe we are, we can say we're part of this church. We're part like of the church of Philadelphia. I believe that. And of all the others, we're more like this one. I believe that to be the case. We're blessed and we should never take for granted for what we have, friend. We should never take it for granted. He has blessed us with ample opportunities uh, around here, and I think we ought to get to doing them, amen. We may be small, but we have a big Savior. They were small, but they had a big Savior. I believe this would be a, uh, I believe this is just something. I mean, I want to thank God for my church tonight, amen. I mean, I think it's important, and I, you know, God help us, church, to go on. God help us to go on. God help us to grant wisdom to us. We ought to pray that way. We ought to pray that way. Pray that he would bless us tremendously in 2023. This is Philadelphia, the church with little strength, but there's a big Savior. Amen. Thank the Lord for the church of Philadelphia. You can stand to your feet. We're, we're done tonight.